Open the door and step inside to a world of practical magic, where we blend the mystical and mundane worlds of the everyday witch. Presented by Wise Woman Witchery and hosted by Emily Morrison and Veronica Wade-Lewis. Hello and welcome to The Witch Next Door. I'm Emily, and today we're going to be talking about the history of Halloween. Here we are coming up to Halloween this coming weekend. It's that day of goblins and ghouls and ghosties uh, and witches, and it has become quite the pop culture phenomenon. But it is also a really big time of honoring a really big time. It's a time of honoring our ancestors uh, in the witchcraft tradition and actually going back even farther than that Samhain is an ancient tradition uh in the celtic realms it is the time of the last harvest and the beginning of the much darker and colder parts of the year so i want to talk a little bit about the origins of halloween how it has come to be here and we'll talk a little bit about symbolism as well now keep in mind this is just one way of looking at this. Uh, As with anything, history is varied. It is vast. And I'm going to just be giving you a brief overview and a cornerstone of some information. There's so much more to know and to learn out there. So uh, hopefully this will give you maybe a little insight into some areas you weren't familiar with, but I always, always invite you and encourage you to do your own research as well. So, as I mentioned, Samhain, which is what most of us witches celebrate this time of year, uh, has its origins in Celtic traditions. It is the last harvest. It's also the blood harvest. So you want to think about this, you know, it's the third of three harvest festivals, uh, the first being the equinox, the second being Lamas, and the third being Samhain. And during this time, most of the crops have been harvested. There's still a few things out there to bring in, depending on where you live, obviously. But it's because it's getting to be winter, because it's getting to be darker, uh, because we're moving into those very cold months. It's also, if you think about it agriculturally, a difficult time to take care of animals. And so often livestock were slaughtered during this time. And then the meat was treated, salted, um, preserved to help get the people through the winter, through those colder months. And it also kept them from having to feed those animals during those months. Now, most people, I'm sure, did not slaughter all of their livestock. But because this was a time where some livestock was slaughtered, it was also called the blood harvest. So during this time of year, in addition to the harvest and just what's happening in the natural world with the darkness coming in, I'm sure you all noticing, I know I'm noticing here in Northern California that, boy, it's staying dark late in the mornings and it's getting dark early in the evenings. And although I love it, it's making it a little bit harder to get out of bed. But during this time, it's also said to be a time when there's an overlap in the worlds of the living and the dead. A time when the thinning of the veils between the worlds allowed spirits to roam more freely. So this is really where that idea comes from of of honoring our ancestors. It's a time when they have more access to us and we have more access to them. So we are 
honoring them. We are setting up altars for them, for our beloved dead, for the mighty dead, for those who have come before, for our ancestors, for the spirits of the land, all of those energies, there's this overlap happening. And this festival and this tradition dates back pre-Christianity. It's quite old in its origins. Um, and I've heard that it is uh, Irish in nature, um, although generally most of what I've read has just referred to it as being Celtic in nature. So if we think about spirits roaming the world at this time, roaming free, milling about, uh, we can talk a little bit about what that might be like to believe that's happening and then to go out, <laughs> outside, out of your home. How, how would that feel to feel surrounded by the spirit realm? Well, what I have read is that the origins of masks during Halloween time actually comes from this idea that the spirits are here, that the veils are thin, and that masks were worn out after dark so that people were feeling safe because they would blend in with the spirit world. They would possibly, you know, hide from them so that they would not be disturbed or hurt by them. In addition, offerings of food were left outside the home to appease spirits and keep those who were inside safe. So you can think about this maybe as the first, I don't know, twinkle of trick-or-treating. It's that time when we're leaving offerings out, aka candy in modern day, to appease the restless spirits, aka wild little children in masks. <laughs> Anyway, it's just the, possibly the first uh, little inkling of that happening were these offerings of food. And we see this today on these ancestor altars that we create. We see this uh, with El Dia de los Muertos and the ofrendas that are created for the beloved dead. And there are often food offerings left out for them. We actually see this in other places too year round. I know there's a couple... Um, Vietnamese restaurants here in town that have um, that have altars set up inside, and on those altars there's almost always food items. So offerings left not necessarily to spirits, but maybe to the gods or goddesses, um, just as a way to honor them and and respect them. So this is a tradition that goes back a long way, but also crosses cultures. In the first century AD, Samhain celebrations were enfolded into some Roman celebrations. For example, the festival of Pomona, she is the goddess of the fruit trees, and she is also considered to be the goddess of apples. So Pomona is often correlated with apples, and it's thought that this might be where the game bobbing for apples came from. So I don't know if any of you ever bobbed for apples as a kid. I remember setting that up in my house. I don't think I ever went to an actual party where that was happening, but I remember seeing it on TV and thinking, I'm going to bob for apples <laughs> and trying. Bobbing for apples is no joke, friends. <laughs> it's not an easy task, but that is Pomona is, and the festival of Pomona is where it, this tradition is thought to have come from. So this bobbing for apple shenanigans that we, we do during this time of year. So later, the church created All Saints Day to happen on November 1st, excuse me, November 1st, uh, and All Hallows Day 
All Hallows Eve. So what would happen is uh, there would be this idea, November 1st was All Saints Day. All Hallows Day was the day before, excuse me, All Hallows Eve was the day before. All Saints Day and All Hallows Day, I believe, were synonymous. Um, And this was also a time to remember the dead. So during this time, soul cakes were made to commemorate the dead. They're kind of like cookies. Um, door to, and door-to-door visits would happen primarily by the young and the poor to ask for these soul cakes. So here we see another possibility for the origins of trick-or-treating, this idea that we go door-to-door and we ask for treats. We ask for food. Uh, in this situation, because it's primarily the poor and the young, it's the people who are really in need. And as with all modern day traditions, everything has its origins somewhere and has twisted and turned and become what it is now from from someplace back that may not exactly correlate with what's happening now. So now we have kids running around asking for treats, but back then people were going around asking for soul cakes. Um, I'm certain it was probably for nourishment, nutrients, um, because they were hungry. So one of the things we often see uh, during this time of year, when, or actually any time of year, when we're talking about ghosts, are ghosts depicted as these bedsheet ghosts, right? They've got the sheet over their heads. It's funny. I just watched Beetlejuice the other day. I went back and revisited it. Such a fun movie. I totally forgot so many pieces of it. It was really fun to go back and watch again and, uh, and revisit all the little details that I hadn't remembered. But... As I was revisiting it, I was tickled by the the ghosts um, wearing the bed sheets that are not white, but like designer bed sheets with patterns on them. And, uh, and it, anyway, it made me remember this little fact, which is that bed sheets, uh, bed sheet ghosts actually come from burial shrouds. So people used to be buried wrapped up in a shroud that was unstitched. And these were white, usually, I believe, muslin. Um, And one article that I was reading suggested that ghost impersonation was taken up by criminals as early as the 16th century. So this idea of throwing a bedsheet over your head and frightening people so that you could steal from them possibly originated back as early as the 16th century. Another piece of symbolism for Halloween is the jack-o'-lantern. I mean, what Halloween would not be complete or would be complete without a jack-o'-lantern, right? Uh, I, I myself love a little pumpkin carving. I used to spend a lot of time doing those elaborate patterns, and it was really fun and, and kind of uh, meditative to just sit and work on something like that for sometimes a couple hours. These days, I don't have as much patience, um, and I, I think some of my pumpkin carving skills have gone by the wayside. But there's that familiar smell of the pumpkin guts and the way we light them up with the candle and the way they smell. I'm very scent oriented. So the way they smell when that candle is heating up the inside of them and then those pumpkin seeds, all those things we in modern day associate here in the U.S. with um, with Halloween. Actually, jack-o'-lanterns were originally carved from a turnip. And so there's a story about this, and I read this in a couple different places with a couple different variations. So I'm just going to give you sort of the, I don't know, the Cliff Notes version. Um, But there was a man named Jack, and he was so bad that he got kicked out of hell. When he was kicked out of hell, he was given a coal to take with him. 
he put it into a turnip to create a lantern, right? So here's this idea of this light inside of the turnip, the light inside of the pumpkin. Children then began to carve these later in homage to Jack. And then after that, later on in time, pumpkins took over the turnip phase. So uh, I know in some places they still carve turnips. I just actually saw a post on Facebook. A friend had posted, he's in Ireland. And uh, Paul, if you're listening, hi. <laughs> uh, but he had posted a picture of a carved turnip. And so this is still happening. I, I have never tried to carve a turnip, but I think I would like to because it would be a very interesting experience. Such a completely different texture and medium to work with than pumpkin. So back in the 1840s, the Scots and the Irish brought Samhain, All Hallows' lore, to the U.S. At this point, Halloween began to become a night of mischief and troublemaking, right? So trick or treat, trick. (laughs) This actually turned into total mayhem. So what started as pranks, you know, you might think about like doorbell ditching, which I'm sure back then doorbells were a little different, but knocking on the door, running away. Um, Pretty soon things were getting a little out of hand. Bricks were being thrown through windows. Um, Windows were being soaked up. Things just got pretty wild. And by the 1920s, Halloween pranks in the U.S. were becoming out of control. This was primarily said to be done by adolescent boys. And there was even talk of canceling Halloween because things had gotten so wild. So some different communities um, decided to make this night more safe and more controlled and more organized, and the event of trick-or-treating was born, according to some sources. So what's also interesting is that, according to the Smithsonian, a Smithsonian article, the effort to restrain and recast the holiday continued after World War II as adults moved Halloween celebrations indoors and away from destructive tricks and gave the holiday over to younger and younger children. So the Senate Judiciary Committee under President Truman recommended Halloween be repurposed as Youth Honor Day in 1950, hoping that communities would celebrate and cultivate the moral fiber of children. I think this is so interesting, and I shared this story during um, during a pumpkin carving event I had a couple weeks ago, but my mom was telling me as a child She remembers trick-or-treating and she remembers dressing up, but the big event was actually these gatherings that were happening at her school. And so my mom was born in 1947. Um, I hope that's okay, mom, (laughs) that I'm sharing this. But she was born in 1947. So as a kid, you know, if you think about in the 50s, which correlates with this time period, um, when they were hoping communities would celebrate and cultivate the moral fiber of children in more in that article talks about how schools and community centers started having these Halloween gatherings to kind of deter the more prankster side of the evening and to cultivate more of that familial fun, maybe carnival. I remember as a kid having Halloween carnivals at school and that's really what my mom was sharing is that this was really what was happening during that time um, and it was something that the whole community participated in. So 
things shifted. Halloween did not get canceled. And certainly pranks still occur and tricks still occur. And, you know, you can hear about it the day after Halloween. And we often see those jack-o'-lanterns smashed out in front of people's houses the day after Halloween. But the extremity of it uh, seems to have died down some. Divination was also practiced this time of year as a means to discover one's future husband. (laughs) So I actually talk a lot um, with my community about using divination this time of year because I feel, I personally feel like when we get to this time, when it's darker, our awareness is turning more deeply inward. And if we think about this realm of spirits being more accessible to us, we have more access to information. So divination seems like a really great tool to break out this time of year. But if we go back in time throughout history, divination was practiced more by women looking for a husband. (laughs) So a couple um, examples of this type of divination include peeling an apple. And when you peel it, you leave the peel on. So you have one long strand of apple that you then cast over your shoulder. And you look at what letter shape, what shape it lands in and what letter that looks close, most closely related to. And that would be the initial of your future husband. Um, in addition, they, people would burn hazelnuts. So I was reading about this and it had something to do with having a party and then everybody would throw a hazelnut into the fire. And, uh, if your hazelnut burned down to ash, I believe you would then be, um, I hope I'm getting this right. My notes are a little sketchy here. Uh, plus I have to read my handwriting (laughs) and let's be honest, my handwriting, whoo, it's a doos. Um, But when, if the hazelnut burned down to ash, then you would be the next one married. Uh, There was also this idea of using dream divination. And the way that you would activate dream divination is to eat these confections made out of sugary walnuts. And you would eat them before bed. And then you would have dreams. And you would see a vision of your future husband in these dreams. So really interesting um, and, of course, very focused around love and marriage and all of that. So definitely a cultural piece of um, different roles at that time. And I actually don't have a date written down from when this was happening, but it sounded like, if I'm remembering, which is always iffy, so take this with a grain of salt, but I believe this was back in like the 1800s that we were seeing this happen. So I also want to talk a little bit about the difference between British versus American Halloween. Back in 1998, I did a semester abroad and I lived in London for three months and it was amazing and quite the life altering experience. But those three months actually happened between September and December. And so we went through the holidays there. And obviously, Thanksgiving is not a thing because it's an American holiday uh, that happens. And we thought, Halloween would be a thing. So I and all of my (laughs) college friends who I was living with at the time, uh, we were like ready to go out and have a big old London party on Halloween. And that was not happening. Uh, So we ended up hanging out with ourselves and we all got dressed up. But we did not see Halloween in the same way there that we saw here. And, And we were all slightly perplexed by that. So I actually found this article uh, when I was doing some research on the history of Halloween that talked about how uh, how Halloween, although Samhain 
has been in the roots there uh, in the UK. Halloween did not really take off as kind of a popular pop culture sort of thing um, until the early 2000s. And that at this point, things started shifting more to the Americanized version of the holiday with the costumes and the candy and all of that. Um, Now, if you are from the UK and you're listening to this and and you think I'm wrong, please tell me because I'd love to hear from you. I just know from my own experience of living in London during that time period, in the late nineties. Um, and then when I read this article, I was like, Oh, that's so fascinating. It really, you know, it really validates what our experience was while we were there. So I also just want to talk about a couple other, um, celebrations that I just think are so interesting. So the day of the dead, which I mentioned earlier is a celebration that actually corresponds with the same dates as Halloween and all souls day. It's actually a Mexican holiday, and there's a couple things being honored and celebrated. Our ancestors certainly are being remembered. There, When I first learned about El Dia de los Muertos, when I was in, like, I think I was in fourth grade, um, we made sugar skulls, and I was in a Spanish class, and we were, we were learning about how this is also a celebration and an honoring of our own mortality, an acknowledgement that we all live and we all die. And there's this cycle, um, which as a fourth grader was a little alarming, but I also thought it was kind of cool. And the fact that we did these big, that we created a big altar and we honored our ancestors uh, was, it was fascinating to me as, as a kid and obviously still as an adult, because I'm still rocking that. But it's a Mexican holiday uh, that actually is said to have its origins with the Aztecs and the Aztecs would use skulls to honor their dead. In the 16th century, when the Spaniards conquered the Aztec Empire, they brought with them All Souls Day, and then these traditions merged. And so that is that is the idea of where the origins of uh, the Day of the Dead come from. There are also many cultures that celebrate and honor their dead. Now, not all of them do it this time of year, but some do. And uh, I know that one of my girlfriends was telling me about Uh, the Feast of Shadows or the Festival of Shadows, which is an Italian tradition that goes on for several weeks during this time of year. Um, There are also, there's a big, a big, big festival that happens, I believe in Guatemala that has to do with kites and these gorgeous, gorgeous kites are created. Uh, And I want to say there's like a kite contest, but people will, will create these, they're handmade and they're huge and they fly them. Uh, And this is actually their celebration of the dead. There are celebrations that happen in Japan and China. um, And I believe in India as well. Although don't quote me on that because I'm having a hard time remembering that article offhand. Um, But my point is, our beloved dead are celebrated. Life and death are celebrated and honored and acknowledged cross-culturally around the world. And Samhain is just one of the ways that this happens. It's definitely um, the way that I tend to celebrate myself as a witch. And not all witches follow the wheel of the year. So uh, not all witches celebrate Samhain, although... Most of them I've met, even when they don't necessarily follow all the traditions, do find some type of reverence in this time of year and the shifting into the darkness and the dark time. 
So I would just ask you, how are you celebrating this holiday? Have you crafted your ancestor altar? Do you have plans? Are you doing a little extra divination? What kind of magic are you making? I almost said mischief, but I'm glad I didn't. Because <laughs> we're moving away from mischief, friends. Anyway, this is your brief history of Halloween, the Emily Witch Next Door version. Uh, if you have any questions or you have anything to add, I would love to hear from you. So please feel free to reach out. You can always contact me at wisewomanwitchery at sonic.net. That being said, keep it magical. Have an amazing Samhain, and I will talk to you really soon. Hey there, wise one. As some of you already know, I host a Diving Deeper membership circle. And part of that membership circle includes Wheel of the Year rituals. Well, for Samhain, I want to invite you to join us for this ritual. We'll be gathering on Saturday, October 30th at 9 a.m. Pacific time, and we'll be doing a journey to meet with and honor our beloved dead. If you're interested in joining in, you can hop on over to Facebook, type in Wise Woman Witchery, and then go ahead and join the group, the free Facebook group. There you will find in the event section the information that you'll need to be able to join in on the Zoom call and participate in the ceremony for Samhain. I look forward to sharing this with you. Be well. Thanks so much for listening to Witch Next Door. If you like what you hear, you can click the anchor support link in the description of this podcast. And if you want to help other people like you find us, you can do that by... You can rate us, you can review us, or you can subscribe. Right? Yeah. And you could do all those things. You could just <laughs> click the little stars, you know, and give us like little some comments. cold stars and a little comment. Yeah. How was this for you? You know, whatever. Love it. I totally love it. it. That way people who are checking out podcasts will be like, hmm, that Veronica and Emily sound like an interesting listen. I think I'll pop over there or wow, they're off the hook. We'll go listen to them. Those people can't stop laughing. <laughs> must be so there must be something good here. I could use a good laugh. Yeah. Anyway, so do that, please. We'd appreciate it. It does help other people find our podcast. And uh, and then we also really love to hear from you. So if you have feedback, that's another way to get it to us. Uh, you can also always write us at wisewomanwitchery at sonic.net. Thank you for joining us on The Witch Next Door. Join us next week as we explore more ways to make every day more magical. Can't wait? Visit wisewomanwitchery.com or follow Wise Woman Witchery on Facebook and Instagram to stay up to date on all current offerings and be a part of the tribe. All episodes are created by Emily Morrison and Veronica Wade Lewis. Music written and performed by Jean Cornelius.